We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 215. To those joining us on Facebook Live, welcome to some Sunday night baseball chat. Scott, I got a little pep in my step because St. Paddy's Day is behind us. Um, that means baseball is right around the corner, and we get the the March thir- what is it? March 29th is the op- opening day. Is March 30th? So we get like that couple days even sooner this season when opening day baseball happens. Yeah, it's definitely sooner. Um, did you? I have a question to ask because I'm I'm wondering. I know you're uh, approaching 30. Did you realize it was St. Paddy's Day? I did because I was up in Vermont. I was skiing. So you went. I, was it like a saw trip a bunch for of morons? Yeah, saw a bunch of morons in uh, Irish hats and beads skiing down the mountain, just face planting. So I woke so up and I knew I knew about it. Yeah, I went through the the day as as you know I normally would, and probably like 11 or 12 o'clock, I realized it was St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. I was like, damn, things have That's changed. Good. Things have changed. I used to like prepare for St. I used to go to like Savannah for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Not anymore. Like I was, I was mad that I didn't realize it because I always make the corned beef, the um, the cabbage, and the potatoes, and do the whole deal uh, for for St. Patty's Day every year. I do it. it's my favorite meal of the year. Yeah. And I totally forgot. So I got to do it again. I got to do it this week at some point. You're, you've got a pass. You've got bigger priorities <clears throat> going on in your life. Yeah, once you have a kid, I can imagine once you have a kid, everything else in your life gets put on second gear. 
and and the rest of it is just focus on Kemp. And that's understandable. I think the people understand. Well, whether you want to or not, it's it's just your brain starts completely yeah. going away. I, I said this on Twitter the other day. I, I slept through the night, the, the first and second time on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. First time you slept through the, the entire night. So that's uh, great. I actually have way more sleep right now than I've had in a long time. <laughs> Well, yeah, you said I'm approaching 30. It's coming up in June. Um, but the last couple of years I've noticed, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this too, I just can't remember things as well. Like I could still recall things from the 1999 baseball season like they happened yesterday. But you ask me about something that happened like three weeks ago, I don't know what the hell's going on. It's just new, new my brain has reached capacity. And stuff's coming in, something has to leave. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I've I've stopped like I've really stopped watching a lot of other sports as much. Like I don't follow a lot of the sports that yeah. I used to because I have to concentrate on the on on what's going on with the Yankees for me to keep up and stuff. There, Nick Nick Zucconi is hanging out in Facebook Live. Um, he is part of the reason why I don't remember many things from 1998 to 2003. <laughs> Nick, uh, <laughs> hit me up. Tell me some stories. Maybe I can read them on the podcast. Oh, Jesus. Uh, coming up later in the show, we have a treat for everybody. Scott, why don't you tell everyone who you spoke to this week? Yeah, on Friday, I was uh, I was able to get a hold of, and we had a, I mean, such an this was one of my favorite interviews, conversations, whatever. Um, Richard Skank, who is Aaron Judge's hitting coach, uh, talked to him on Friday for about twenty five minutes or so. We were supposed to go like ten to fifteen, and we just kept talking. And there were uh, just so many interesting things that were that were being said and like the way that he was going, the approach and like all sorts of different all sorts of different like beautiful nuggets um, that I know everybody's going to really enjoy. So definitely check that out. It's at the end of this episode, um, probably about halfway through. But um, yeah, great conversation. And it's it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating on, on the changes that were made, how he did them and how quickly he was able to show the uh you know the the good Aaron Judge because after 2016 there were like ridiculous holes everybody was you know nobody was was praising Aaron Judge at that point the guy was striking out at 50 percent he goes and works with this guy in uh, January of 17 and then we have a triple crown contender by by uh, All Star break it's crazy I mean this guy Richard Skank is a miracle worker he needs to be going he needs to be having everybody in Major League Baseball contacting him being like you're in a slump. Come to the hit hitting doctor because I will fix you. So he, Aaron Judge was his first um, professional client at that point. And now he's Worked got like, out well. now he's got like 50. He also yeah, started no with shit. the guy uh, who was leading at the all-star break. So Aaron Judge was where he was at the all-star break. And then his other client at the time when he was working with him was a, a minor league guy. I forget his name, but was leading the minor leagues in home runs at that point. And like this guy turns people into that don't hit home runs into home run power. It's mm, crazy. Okay. Okay. Well, judge always had power. So I'm not, I'm not worried there's about nothing, anything. There's, there's, there's no kind nothing of a, shady going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah. like, there's no well, chemistry when you say going on in the He turns basement. a non home run hitter into a home run hitter. Right. You know what that, what, what kind of conversation that totally, leads to. Totally different, uh, totally different innuendo if we're talking about 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to listening to it myself. Uh, also, next week, we are going to be in Tampa, Friday the 23rd, Saturday, March 24th. We're going to be at both of those 1 p.m. games. Friday, we've got a smaller crew going to be sitting out in right field. I know Joe's McFly is going to be with us, maybe eight or nine people. If you're at that game, definitely hit us up. Come by, say hi, have a beer. And then on Saturday, it's um, going to be, It's I think it's one of the last home spring training games. So we're going to see a ton of regulars in there. We might even see what the opening day lineup is going to be. I believe Saturday, let me count it, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 
We might see Severino start on that Saturday because that would line him up for opening day. I think he we was, are, actually. I, talk, I heard Boone talking today, and I think that that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, also, so I think he's going to be pitching on the 7th as well. Just, Se- Sevy was announced as the opening day starter. No real surprises there. He earned it. Uh, but so we're probably going to see him on that Saturday. We got a big crew, almost 30 people going to be with us. 32 people, a, actually. 32 people. That is almost 30 still. Yeah, it is almost 30. <laughs> it's beyond it. But um, uh, And then Friday, if you are at the game, definitely come come say what's up. I was looking at the tickets to see where we are. So we're in right field. They have like half moon tables. We have two of those tables, uh, tables two and three. So come by and say, uh, say hey if you're at the game. I'm looking forward to it. We've been down. This is going to be our third year in a row. It's always a ton of fun. Spring training baseball. Spring baseball just gets nothing better to get you in the mood for, for regular season. Because yeah. then you fly back, fly back north and it's going to be probably 40 degrees and snowing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because this has been a long off season, and uh, I, I feel mm-hmm. like we've been speculating for like Oh, you're six tired months. of speculating, are you? Are I'm you tired pretty of sick of it. I need some real things to happen. It, as a Yankees offseason... Two major things happened. They yes. got a new manager, Aaron Boone. They got the National League reigning MVP, Giancarlo Stan. Yet we still spent a solid 10 episodes just speculating about the same shit. And, and it's fine. And we appreciate all of the mailbags that poured in over the, over the offseason. Like people, people had questions, but eventually Scott and I are just talking to one another. Like we can only continue to speculate so more, so much. Before we talk in circles and co- probably contradict something we said a month earlier just because we've confused ourselves with all the speculation. So nobody is happier than the two of us that actual baseball, yeah. not just grown men throwing baseballs no, and hitting real, baseballs. It, this counts. The stuff that counts. Meaningful baseball. stand like It'll impact the standings. I am so like, excited I, I about I need that. it. Like I need it. That's, that's, that's where I am right now. It's, and uh, I'm excited. Does it, has it given you any appreciation for what uh, some sports radio guys have to deal with? No, because they do it for a living. Like if I if this was my like full time job and I did it, I would, I would have. But it would, but so they no. pull they pull shit out of thin air. Yeah, and that's kind of what you have to do. Not you know you, you you just come up with hypotheticals. So I don't need to harp on it anymore. Let's talk about April seventh. April seventh is basically two weeks away. Do I have my math right? Three weeks. Three weeks away. <laughs> So April Saturday. 7th is three weeks away. We're not going to talk about all the events. Focus on April 7th. Um, we have a good group going. If you haven't gotten tickets, make sure you get them this week, like early this week. I got to find out exactly when my, my cutoff is for the t-shirts um, for that game for, because we're shipping them out this time. So there will be, uh, it'll probably be towards the end of the week. So I have to confirm that with, uh, with my print shop. But um, definitely get your, get your group together. It's going to be a lot of fun. First weekend game. I think it does line up for Severino pitching on that day. If my math is correct, but it's it's close. If not, it's either him or Tanaka. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, first first weekend series in the stadium with this ridiculous team. How could you not be jonesed up for that? We have a great deal. It's uh, 64 bucks. You get a pregame at the um, at the dugout. We have ridiculous beer specials. You get a T-shirt and you sit with the entire group in sections 205 and two hundred six. And we get loud and we have fun and it's a blast. So the beer specials that you mentioned are are ten dollar pitchers. Ten dollar pitchers, probably so, like PBR or Bud Light or something like that's that. That's okay. It doesn't matter when yeah, it's it a pitcher. Matter. You're just looking for volume, not quantity. You're looking for uh, quantity, not quality. And then it's four dollar Tall Boys domestic. It, it's is it still TBD? Is it PBR, Bud Light, something like that? It right? depended on their vendor. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he'll let us know soon. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than. 
drinking in the stadium. That that is the point of the whole thing. It's actually cheaper than going on StubHub or or one of the one of the other places um, and getting and getting tickets. It's a lot cheaper. So mm. and better seats. SeatGeek. So last episode we recorded, and then the next morning the Yankees signed Neil Walker. Yep. You briefly mentioned the news uh, as the lead into the episode, but it actually worked out well where we had a week to digest. There's some other moves that have happened, but let's just sort of reset, go over the news. Neil Walker signs $4 million base salary. He can make up to $500,000 in bonuses, which are based on plate appearances. I know there's a number of different ones that he can reach. So the more he plays, the more he makes, basically. I was very surprised when I saw this news come down. I thought the Yankees were done, especially done with the infield. We spent an entire episode a couple weeks ago t- trying to figure out the infield equation. I without, felt like Rain- without Neil Walker. Yeah, I felt like Rain Man trying to figure this shit out. It's like, okay, we got, we've got we got Brandon Drury, who we just traded for. Obviously, we've got Didi at shortstop. Then we got Tyler Wade, Glaber Torres, Miguel Andowar, Tyler Austin. All these guys are competing for spots. And then, boom, you throw Neil Walker in the mix. How does he fit in? Well, obviously, they're, gonna, they're paying him. He's going to play. Yeah. A $5 million contract uh, right around there. It's look, it's a, I was like you, I was surprised that this happened. I wasn't expecting uh, him to go down, but at the same time, none of us were expecting a guy like Neil Walker or some of these guys in this free agent class that would be available at this time for a one-year deal at such a, a, a bargain. I mean, it, that's what it is. It's a bargain price and similar to what, and this is a horrible comparison because it didn't work at all. But it's a similar Don't, move. Don't even say it. Don't <laughs> it even say his name. I'm in move. a good mood. I'm in a good mood. It's a Don't similar move it. for what Cashman did to get the home run king from the National League over to the Yankees uh. last year because they, they saw a, an opportunity for a value, uh, value move, and it, it gave them some depth, and that's what they did. Now, Neil Walker is actually a legitimate major league hitter and major league player. He plays with his eyes open. He can play multiple positions. He can hit from both sides of the plate. He so when you're looking defense. at the move, good defense, when you're looking at the move, while it was a surprise, it's a good surprise because, you know, this team is ready to win now. They're ready to win. So right. while Cashman and, um, and the, the rest of the, the brass are looking to the future to make sure that they're prepared for future seasons, they still have to make damn sure that they are ready and, and loaded up as much as they possibly can for 2018 because it would be, it would be a damn shame if they didn't because this team is ready to go now. So but it's a good move. Yeah, no, that all makes sense. So if you told me in on January 1st, the Yankees will sign Neil Walker this offseason, I would have said, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But what I was surprised about is how everything unfolded. And they traded for Brandon Drury. Right. They had Anduar and Wade playing extremely well in spring training. I did not then expect them to do, to go and sign Neil Walker. That That is what surprised me. Yeah, well, I, I think what we're seeing is that there was a plan. In, in right. the sense that these they were not going to trust all these uh, these young right. kids to come up right, and play. Right, right. I think that was the the back you know the the backroom plan that nobody. And that's knew what we about. talked about. That's what I, I think. A lot of young we, guys. If you have those two those two guys, and that's two more rookies starting in the infield. This was the whole argument for signing Todd Frazier or or yeah. even keeping Chase Headley, which I'm glad they didn't keep Chase Headley. And at this point, considering they got. Drury over Frazier. Uh, Drury, Drury over Frazier and Walker in the mix. Like, I'm much happier with the situation, situation they have now. But the whole argument for keeping a veteran infielder is so you don't get exposed with two rookies in the infield. Right. And, you know, after what did happen last year at first base because of the bird injury and the incompetence of one Chris Carter at first base, they were left with a massive hole on the right side of the field. 
defensively and offensively. And, you know, Brian Cashman wasn't going to be put in that situation again, especially with a brand new manager. Like he's going to give him every single possible thing to succeed because we all know Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman are extremely tied at the hip. Their success and failure are tied at the hip 100%. It's a lot of it's on Cashman because Cashman made the decision to get rid of Girardi or not renew Girardi, whatever you want to call it, and and bring Boone on. So as much as there's pressure uh, for him to win, he's got to make sure that he's got the guys to win. And if you could get a Neil Walker, a veteran guy, knows how to hit, can play multiple positions, you know, probably a, a good clubhouse guy from what I've heard, um, with a young team, you do that move. It's just more depth. Worst case scenario, you got guys that were potentially ready to go that are still rookies that can just get seasoned in AAA. They're not off the team. They're still there ready to go. It's depth. It's a good move. Yeah, as far as how it affects Gleyber Torres, I don't think it really affects him that much because he wasn't having a good spring. He was going to start in the minors regardless so they could extend his service time. Now he's he's going to get half a season in AAA, and that's what we were looking at regardless af- after the way he was playing this spring. So, so that's fine. Anduar, I think, is more interesting because I think Anduar played well enough to have an argument where you could say he should have made the opening day roster. Yeah, but it's all about position too. Like he he kind of this is something that we've discussed in the past about Andor being a one trick guy because he plays third base. Now I know they they were talking about putting him at first or they did put him at first for a game or a couple of innings or something at some point. Um I think in the minor league game or they were maybe it was just talk. But he's a third baseman. Drury can go in and I mean, he's going to be the, the starting third baseman now, but he can play second base. He can play other positions. Right. It just gives them more flexibility. I mean, th- this has been the theme of the offseason is flexibility. Brian Cashman likes his flexibility, and because of that, he's giving that flexibility to Aaron Boone. So this allows them to go into the season with Drury at third base, uh, Neil Walker at second base, with the options later in the season if Anduar and Glaber are tearing it up in the minor leagues and the the and Drury and or Neil Walker just are not producing. Like if Neil Walker is having a slow season, you it doesn't don't matter. To, you don't have to there. keep you right. don't have to keep him in the lineup. Right. It's four million bucks that you might have to flush down the toilet, but it at least gives you something in the beginning of the season to go in with. This is a major league second baseman. And and we have but, but there's really nothing going to say that this guy is not going to hit. I mean, he, he he's hit it over his entire career. Like that's so. This is something that. Like, okay, yeah, you could have said that. You could have said that about Chris Carter. You no, could have said, I don't, "Come on!" But you could have said he's always hit home runs, so you give him the playing time. He's going to hit home runs. Guess what? He had the playing time last year, and he didn't hit home runs. All he did I was that. strike out with Look, his eyes closed. Chris Carter is not a comparable. We just the only to anybody ever. You, you're he's the, the worst. I'm just saying the, the situation. Up. The situation was the same, similar. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a guy that has a, a much lower percentage of, of bottoming out and having to. But it doesn't matter because if he does, we got guys ready. They're ready to go. Glaber yeah. Torres did not have a good spring, did not look ready to, to take that job. I mean, he had to earn that job still. Um, so he needed that time. Do you, I think. Think, do you think he kind of went into the spring thinking like, like he had, like it was his, it was his to lose? No, I don't and, think so. And really he needed to treat it like he needed to win it? No, I mean, everybody, if you even go back to our interview with, um, what was his name, Scott, he was the, uh, the, the, the play-by-play guy for the double-A team that, that Glaber Torres played on. Oh, yeah, yeah, for the Cubs, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, I mean, even he was talking about how, like, such a good kid and hard worker Glaber Torres. And that's what everybody has said. Like, this guy is beyond his years as far as maturity. So, no, I don't think that was, that's... And we've heard that's, that about Andor, too. 
We've yeah, about- Andrew has been been great. I mean, he was even. I mean, he got minor league player of the year uh, on the on the day that he sent down, and just you know, he's respectful. He's he appreciative for the um, the opportunity in the pro. So look, they're both. I, I think they've proved that they're they're both um, handling it extremely well and doing the right thing. So I don't think there's any of that any of that concern. Here's the interesting guy, Tyler Wade, yeah. because Cashman and Aaron Boone have glowingly talked about Tyler Wade. They love his talent. He's had a really good spring. I think he's going to make the team. There's an opening for him right now because it looks like Ellsbury is going to start the season on the DL. Glass bones Jacoby Ellsbury with his hurt oblique is going to start the season on the DL, which is great news if you're a Yankees fan because it allows you to have a guy like Tyler Wade and see what he can do. But it's interesting because it's not going to last. You can't have all of these infielders on the team for the entire season. There's just not, there's too many bodies, not enough spots to play them. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, a week ago, was it a week ago that I was talking about Tyler Wade? I'm like, I, I don't see a long-term future on, on this team for him. Like, I just don't see it. I don't see where he fits in long-term. And I kind of still don't, unless he is playing in that utility role. But what if he what if he hits in that utility role? Then I think he takes Torres's job. I know you got you joke you you kind of sarcastically said I'm a Torres hater. Not a Torres hater. I love little Toto. But if if the decision if both are playing well in the utility role, the decision is so friggin' easy to take Tyler Wade over Ronald Torres. Yes, if they're both if they're both playing well, the if if Tyler Wade, I mean Tyler Wade right now could very well be the second baseman. You're looking around the league, looking around what they're saying. Like he told them, they're they're glowing about Tyler Wade. Everything he's on, he's played out of his freaking mind. Like on yeah. Saturday, he played, he made two spectacular plays at second base, like spe- like like very very top notch pro plays at second base. The guy hustles his ass off. He, you could tell that he worked his butt off in the offseason. He's significantly he's su- he's super. Like, a, he's super athletic, <clears throat> yeah. too. He can play the outfield if they absolutely need him to. He played at center field in the Arizona Fall League. He is a shortstop. If you're a shortstop, you can play second base. So right. he's, 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 I mean, at, the, he's the athletic. Kids, they were talking about, uh, John and Susan were talking about Tyler Wade being potentially like the best glove in the, in the Yankees system. And that's probably not far off, honestly. He's a, he's a very good glove. So and he's been hitting like that was his problem last year. He didn't hit. He didn't hit worth a damn last year. And maybe it's because it was a new spot. Maybe it's because the lights were bright and he just didn't handle it well. Who knows? <laughs> and he you comes know? up and he gets he gets four at bats a week against major league pitching. That shit is tough. That's a big deal. And it looks like he he took that and and realized that that was an opportunity that he missed yeah. and he's not going to screw up the next opportunity. And that's what I'm seeing right now. I'm seeing a guy who is motivated, driven, and playing his ass off. So I would not be surprised by any means if he were to be the if he were to be the starting second baseman. I still think Neil Walker's going to be opening day for uh, second base, but it wouldn't surprise me if if, uh, if Tyler Wade was that guy. So then, how does this affect? I guess we know the ner- we think we know the near term. How does it affect like the midterm? Like what are we looking like in June? Where is Tyler Wade in June? Where is Tyler Austin in June? Where is Anduar and Glaber Torres in June? Yeah, because these are all questions that are a little bit more fuzzy. Oh, they definitely are because there are so many bodies now. And I think some of it has to do with whether or not Jacoby Ellsbury is, uh, it comes back as a healthy human being and plays baseball so for the I'm Yankees not, ever again. Cause I'm not, I'm not ruling out that he just, you know, we just don't right. see him again. I'm not saying somebody should do something bad to Ellsbury, but so, I'm not, not saying it. <laughs> there's already something going on. Like we could stretch an oblique injury out for a long time. Yeah. Those obliques, man, they linger. And they can, can, can someone in the Yankees clubhouse like slip him a tapeworm and then like, oh, why does Ellsbury have no energy? It's so weird. We can't figure it out. He's got to he's got to sit weird. out. Yeah, something's weird. 
the Yankees just bought uh, 10 Rebuild the Empire t-shirts from our fan shop. I was love very it. excited about this. It's for the front office because they are literally rebuilding the empire. And I love it. I love that they, the shirts will be there. Cashman Question is getting you. the Cashman shirt. So what I'm saying is, hold on. I got, we have, we're, we've infiltrated the dugout, the, uh, the, the locker room. Maybe we could send something on the shirt. <laughs> I mean, can we find out what Ellsbury is allergic to and then spray it all over that T-shirt? <laughs> um, question for you. When is the Empire officially rebuilt? Is it when they finally ho- uh, hoist the World Series trophy? 100%. Or is it rebuilt now? They were in the ALCS last year. No, it's not rebuilt. An Empire is... When, you're the, when, you're, when you have an Empire, you're the top. You're, there's nobody above you. You right. have to be so, a champion. Uh, you're, you're thinking like... Like Star Wars terms, like entering, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, 1996 on there, there was a, the Evil Empire. That's when it came on right. because they just kept winning. And yeah. after they won, they would just bring in new more guys, and right. they would keep winning. And yeah. that's Darth what I'm Vader. For. So is Brian Cashman Darth Vader in this situation? No, he's the he's the uh, he's the emperor. He's the emperor. Who's well, the, who's who's Vader? I don't know. Maybe he's Vader and the other ones are the Empire. I can't, I can't put one of the Steinbrenners as the Empire, though. Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone is too nice to be Vader. Yeah, he puts a mask um, on, he's, he becomes Vader. Does the Emperor Brian Cashman have another move up his sleeve? Does, give, does signing someone like uh, Neil Walker allow him to maybe explore what Anduar can return to him on the trade market? Anduar had a fantastic spring. Maybe he gets someone to say, yeah, I'll give you a starting pitcher now for, for Anduar. You know, I'm not putting anything past Cashman at this point. I mean, this guy has been unpredictable in a sense that it's it's really hard to to just place what he's going to be doing. I mean, we're we thought that this team was ready to go, and then all of a sudden now Neil Walker's on the team. Like he does things like this because he's doing. And I think a lot of this is attributed to the amount of conversations that he has, and that's people get all up in arms about him having conversations about certain prospects and finding out what's going on in the pitching. Like I'm. When we're talking about getting a pitcher, like I don't understand the move about getting another pitcher, but I understand the, the, the fact that he's got to have these conversations because he's having these conversations when he does need something or when something pops up, he's on the phone call list and that's a good thing. So it would not surprise me if, if, uh, if there was some other thing up his sleeve, but it's hard to see what it would be now because the roster looks completely good. I mean, we're, we're pretty damn strong up and down. Positional position players definitely we were talking about before we, we pressed record like what do they do with the bullpen now if they do carry wade they've got Torres, and they got all these infielders like do they go into the season one one bullpen guy short because you got a couple extra off days in the beginning of the season you don't necessarily or maybe montgomery doesn't start on the because he's the fifth starter maybe montgomery starts off the roster and you have that extra bullpen guy until you actually need montgomery to start a game i don't know what they do but one guy that's interesting is Chase and Shreve because he's out of major league. He's out of minor league options. Right. So he either needs to be on the major league team or they're going to have to put him on waivers. If someone picks him up, which they would, he, you can organize a trade for him. Or if no one picks him up, which like you said, someone will, then he gets sent to AAA. But you can't just send him to AAA. He's out of options. So I, I think when we're looking at the the final roster, unless if they do something like that with Jordan Montgomery. Um, then that's a different animal. But if we're talking about people who, who are on the roster and will be there two weeks into the season, um, the, the guy to me is you were looking squarely at the two guys are, are Tyler Wade, 
who seems to be on the team from what everybody's saying and from all, all, all reports. Um, but the, so I, th- I think the, the last guy on Tyler is, uh, is Tyler Austin because Neil Walker played how many, we, we looked up how many uh, games he played 17 games last year in first base. Mm-hmm. First time he played first base in his career was last year, but he played it 17 games out of, uh, however many he played. I wouldn't Between necessarily call him a backup first base option. No, but he's Romine can also play first base. You have a couple. Drury has played like what one game did we figure one out? One game. One so game. like there are guys who can <laughs> put a glove on and go over there and play if need be. Yeah. My point is is that he's not 100 percent necessary early in the season uh, while they're figuring things out. So I, and and they're Tracy Shreve to me is on the team. Like I don't think they're going to release him to to put a, a another a position player on there. With the uh, with pretty much the guarantee that they're going to lose him, like I don't think they're ready to lose him yet. Chase and Shreve though has not done anything to warrant you being like I have to keep Chase and Shreve. Like you lose, yeah, but Chase you're giving him up for no practically nothing at that point. For 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 uh, that's uh, hap- the that first happens. Baseman. That happens sometimes when when your roster is stacked, you lose guys like Chase and Shreve. That that just happens. The thing is though, with a guy like Tyler Austin, a backup first baseman, like. God forbid there was something that happened to first base and you need to have someone play a significant amount of time. <coughs> That's when you go and you bring somebody up and, and there's a roster spot already cleared. So it would be for a day off or, or something along those lines. And if you're doing that, like Neil Walker could probably go over there and play first base for that. Austin Romine on a day he's not catching, you know, he could go over there but and the, do that. But the Romine thing is not a long-term solution because you never want to have your, your backup catcher as a backup somewhere else. Right. I totally agree with that. But I think Neil Walker kind of plays into that. I think Neil Walker might be a guy that they could move around. Aren't you glad we spent a solid 10 minutes talking about Adam Lind and the Yankees released him on the 14th? You know what I am? I hope Adam Lind came in with that horse shit ugly goatee. The Yankees made him shave it. And then we're like, oh, yeah, by, by the way, you're released now. See, Adam Lind is a, is a professional baseball player. He deserves to be on a, on a roster somewhere. <laughs> Like the fact that that guy's not on a roster, even if it's he's for a, a small Tampa, deal, he's a Tampa Bay Devil Ray, is what he. But he's still on. a pro player. Like he's he's a solid veteran guy that you could bring in to play first base and yeah. and have a pretty good production from. Like he doesn't deserve to be on the street. So with the Walker signing, how does the lineup look to you? Gardner, Judge, Bird, Stanton. We think Sanchez. We think is the top five. Yeah, I I like the um, I tweeted this today. So today's today's lineup was pretty close. Um, they had uh, they had both Aaron Judge and Stanton in the outfield. Uh, so I think one of those guys would be at DH, probably Stanton. I still think Stanton's going to be primarily the DH. We're going to see him there probably the most of anybody. Um, and then so you insert Aaron Hicks, but the first the first six guys today I think is is the money order. I, I really so Didi Didi was six instead of Hicks. Didi was right? six, yeah. 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 I mean, the nice thing about the Walker signing is that he's also a switch hitter. So now you have two switch hitters you can play around with in the lineup with yeah. Hicks and Walker. Yeah. And then that, that allows the, the lefty righty thing to, to play out a little bit nicer. Absolutely. And so you're having options at the bottom. Like to me, I think Aaron Hicks is almost like, to me, he's like the perfect guy to turn the roster, to turn the lineup around. Throw him in that nine spot. He gets, he gets on base a lot, but, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Walker, Walker and Jury seem like they're going to be at the bottom of the line. Drew, uh, it, could, it could be. I think Jury will be higher. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I could see Walker or or Aaron Hicks. I like having the switch hitter there, though. Does it really matter though? Like when when you're talking about this caliber of lineup, it doesn't really matter at that point where guys are hitting because they, they've got so much depth in the lineup that it, it's one to <clears> nine. 
It's such a tough lineup. And I was thinking, I was like, looking at those nine names, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe the Yankees are going into a season with, with this sort of lineup. Five years ago, on opening day, the lineup was Brett Gardner, Eduardo Nunez, Robinson Cano, Kevin Euclid, Vernon Wells, Ben, Fa- ben Francisco. Francisco, Ichiro, Jason Nix, and Francisco Cervelli. <clears throat> that was an opening day lineup for the New York Yankees. Yeah, uh, it was it was like bizarro world at that point. With Kevin Euclid on the Yankees was just I couldn't handle that. That was just that was not. You a thought good he thing. was ugly with a goatee. Imagine him just completely shaved. He's an uh, <laughs> he is a horrible, <laughs> ugly son of a bitch. I think he went to Japan after that. He probably mm-hmm. stayed there. It's probably a good place for him to be. No, he's back. Euclid he- needs to just stay. Like I, the fact that that guy was wearing pinstripes with that horrible. Horrible batting stance. It drove me insane. You know what's because uh, I hated him. I'm embarrassed about. I loved that signing. Oh, it's disgusting. Like it makes me want to throw up thinking about it. <laughs> the Jason Ben Francisco, Jason Nix. Jason Nix. Was, there wasn't Jason Nix spelled with a Y. J A Y. Yeah, J A Y S one. Yeah, it, it was complete bizarro world. So, and I kind of just went down this rabbit hole on Twitter. Thinking about, say, a hypothetical situation after the 2014 season, Robinson Cano resigns in New York. I don't think the Yankees are where they are today because Cano makes them a better team in 2014, 2015, 2016. He puts them in that 85, maybe making the playoffs window. <laughs> the Yankees probably don't tear everything down in 2016 if they have Robinson Cano on, on the roster. So I honestly don't think. So you I love, you love think, the Ellsbury signing? No, I don't love the Ellsbury signing. Well, that's, I mean, that, that contributed to it. But I think Cano not re-signing, I think, has led us here. I think if Cano re-signed, we're not here today. It may have escalated it, yeah. It may have pushed it up a year, uh, at least a year. Because, you know, I, nobody, re- nobody really thought in the beginning of, um, uh, of, the, of 2016 when they tore it down and, and started making all these trades that it was going to happen. Like, nobody believed that they would actually do it. We, we, you and I hoped, like, I'm like, come on, this is, this is the spot. We were kind we of saying it. it like when we were, we were running the podcast at that point, we were saying it like they need to tear down and rebuild. This team is going nowhere. Yeah. We were saying it like, this is never going to happen. Like it's never happened in right. my lifetime. It was, it was me talking like the way I would say it is like, this is the right thing to do. This is what they should do. But they're the New York Yankees. They're probably not going to do it. Who am I talking about? The New York Yankees. They don't rebuild. But they didn't because Brian Cashman's a freaking genius. And not only did he get throw guys away, send them away, but he got ridiculous hauls back and then bring some of the guys back. So, you know, the evil genius that is Brian Cashman, the wizard that is working behind the scenes has made this happen. Maybe maybe sending Cano out to Never Never Land in Seattle where nobody even knows that there's a baseball team. Maybe that was just part of the journey. Yeah, it, it was just interesting to think about because I was – I hated that not signing Cano and then using the money to sign shittier Ellsbury. players like Ellsbury. Yeah. Um, but but where I where the Yankees are today, I would not trade that for anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Moving on, Judge got reprimanded. He got he got like a he got like it's a slap on the wrist. It's almost like a a detention slip. Like don't do this again, big guy. Yeah. When he when he talked or when he made comments. Uh, that Machado would look good in pinstripes. And I think I even saw you tweet this, that the problem wasn't necessarily the comments. It was Judge talking to the media about the comments. Right. Because those conversations happen all the time between And they happen, they happen in plain sight. Like, 
Bryce Harper and Giancarlo Stanton had this conversation about Stanton joining the Nats a couple years ago on Twitter. Yeah. Bryce Harper's posted Instagram posts with, with Chris Bryant saying hashtag back to back one day. So this stuff happens. It's just when it happens and then baseball writers are talking about it and it's in front of media. MLB has to stand up and say, hey, MLB is- almost has to say, come on, Aaron, like be smarter. Yeah. That's it was uh, Major League Baseball had to say something. They they had to because they probably got phone calls from the Orioles. You know the Orioles are just waiting. Like, come on, Yankees, screw up so we can get some kind of a <laughs> Buck show. Up. Buck like, show. Yeah, let's go. Come on, Yankees. Uh, we're waiting for you to mess up. We're like, ha. They're they're like the rat of the uh, AL East. Yeah, they'll, and you know who's leading that tell charge? A, tell Buck Showalter is definitely leading that charge. I still think he has a Steinbrenner voodoo doll. <laughs> um. But yeah, that, that's basically what it was. Aaron Judge got a slap on the wrist. I guarantee he was blushing. He was probably embarrassed. He probably got a phone call from yeah. his dad. It's the first time and he's he, gotten in trouble. He was very nervous. You know, I, I guarantee he had butterflies when that happened. So he doesn't like that stuff. Like, that's not him. And, no. and uh, you know, it was all in good fun. It was nothing freaking serious. It was stupid. So I, maybe that's his one thing. Now he's just going to be straight in there. Well, it's the first time he's gotten a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And it'll probably, if I had to bet, it'll be the last time because, because Judge is the most careful, respectful, careful. He's just very, he's he's very careful person. Even on the um, the R two C two podcast when he was mm-hmm. when he was uh, on that show, you could tell he was thinking so much about those. Even in like a very loose atmosphere with CC like throwing the f bomb around, and and Ruko just you know it's a, a casual conversation. He was still very calculated and, and, and guarded with uh, with what he says. And honestly, I think that's just his upbringing. Like, I think that's how he yeah. was raised. Um, yeah, I I, I I agree. You know who was good on that was uh, the Gardner. The Gardner Gardner's one. a funny dude. He is. I, so now we know why Gardner, why Didi uses the clown emoji for Brett Gardner, because he's the one who plays pranks. Yeah. I mean, we knew that he was a prank. I, I think But when he's telling the stories and he's actually like, you hear him telling, uh, talking more in detail about it. It's interesting because you definitely get to know Gardner on a different level because he's, he's definitely more of a reserved guy that stays to himself. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about Major League or the minor leagues instituting the, the dumb rule of trying to speed up the game by putting a runner on second base in extra innings? It's a circus move. It's stupid. It's, uh, it's dumb. Call more strikes. We'll speed when, this game up. When, uh, when is MLB going to realize that extra inning games are not the problem? How often does extra inning games happen? Once a week, maybe? So you have a 15-inning game. That's kind of rare. It's rare, and it's fun. It's almost a novelty. People get into it. The problem is nine-inning games are too long. 15-inning games are long because it's 15 fucking innings. Stop trying to make that shorter and make the nine-inning games shorter. Like I, I, with, with, with things that actually somebody, don't affect the game. Somebody needs to sit down in front of Major League Baseball and say, are, do you guys realize what you are doing? Like, it's not complicated. You're making things too complicated. How many dumb rules bullpen Because they're getting too influenced by, like, the Snapchat of the world where everybody's everybody's attention span is nothing. And they're like, well, everybody's attention span is nothing, so we have to make sure that we put gimmicky bullshit in here, speed up the game in ways that are not natural to baseball, and and they're overreacting to a, a problem that's not really that big of a problem and if you really do want to make a change i've said this for the past what four weeks mm-hmm. make call have the strikes. umpires sh- call more strikes like you don't have to say the zones bigger have a freaking meeting <laughs> tell them to call more strikes and they'll call more strikes and the game will progress the bat will be off the shoulder more the guys will be working a little bit quicker like pitchers working quicker if there's a deal we were call more strikes if you guys pick it up a little bit let's just have an agreement let's just say 
Say that. You call more strikes, the games will be faster. Bottom so line. So if we if we ran a plan, if we were like running for co MLB commissioner, yeah. our our platform would be call more strikes, yeah. and cut down thirty seconds off each commercial time by everyone just gets to put a logo on the jersey or the hat. I wouldn't even do that. I would put in more um, smaller screen ads, picture in picture, picture in picture, not not the whole thing. Just like you know how they do in the in uh, yeah. in the NFL, they do like a little L, and you still have your full. It's a pretty good size picture, but you have an ad in there. Didn't they do that in the do playoffs that, this do year? Do that for yeah, they, they did. Year? Do that for between the innings. Come back a little early and do that. It didn't. It didn't cut down on the actual innings. It didn't cut down on the actual time in between innings. But how much time is there? Thirty seconds between the commercial break and then the first pitch, or the pitch of that inning or whatever. It's probably yeah, about fifteen probably. seconds, thirty seconds. So have that in there and then fade it out after thirty seconds once you come back to break. And there you have a thirty-second commercial while the action, maybe even the action is happening at the you know for the last fifteen seconds. But things like that can happen digitally and don't affect the game while you're there because also think about this when people are there it's affecting their experience at the game and that's a problem like i hate going to football games personally i don't like being a football because they're boring there's so much time so much dead time at a football game unless it's a really really good game and i'm totally into it it's just not that great of a spectator sport anymore in person because there's so much dead time they continue to do this with baseball you're going to run into a similar issue totally different sport but like you got to think about the people at the stadium too but we even said this, like you and I watch baseball games. We're going to watch every baseball game, whether it's two hours and 45 minutes or three hours and eight minutes. We're diehard fans. That's just the nature of it. Most of the people listening to that podcast fall into that category. The casual fan is not going to watch a baseball game because it's 10 minutes shorter. Right. Like it's, it, it's, it's just it's, not going to, it's not, it's not even going to show up on their radar. Like should baseball do things to try and get the game a little bit shorter? Yes, I think they should. Would I like? I would actually like games if they were a little bit shorter. Like we watch every night. Like there's certain nights where I just don't want to be up until eleven o'clock watching watching a game again. Like if it ended at ten o'clock, that would be beautiful. But if they're going for like these casual quote unquote fans, shortening the game isn't gonna do shit. It's not gonna move the needle one bit. No, but you seen the ball did. Like that type of stuff works. That extended the, the games. In. That yeah. made the games longer. It did, but it also brought people in because there's more home runs happening. So <laughs> no, I know, what do you I want, know. baseball? Exci- what do you excitement. want? You want more excitement. home runs? You want more offense? You want shorter and the Yankees, games? Yankees games are going to be hella long this year because you got a bunch of guys who are going to hit home runs and a bunch of guys who are going to strike out and a bunch of guys who are going to walk. Look, last time I looked, the last year play- playoffs for the last two years, right, have been freaking on fire. Like when the Cubs won... That did a lot for baseball by itself. The Cubs hadn't won and in forever, and now you have the Cubs winning in the World Series and a good World Series, a lot of offense. And then last year with the freaking Dodgers and the Astros hitting 8,000 home runs going you know, with, with long-ass games, but they're because of the home runs. Do you think there was a problem with the ratings for that? No, there was a problem. People were complaining about that. They were like, there are home runs happening. It's like the, it's like the PED era all over again. Like, <laughs> chicks love the long ball. Like, this whole thing is crazy. The changes that they're making make absolutely no sense because you're right. The casual fan's not going to care if it's 10 or 15 minutes shorter. That's not going to make them watch the game. Yeah, if their casual fan isn't watching the game right now, there were, wasn't the, the most home runs in Major League Baseball hit last year? Like I th- total? Yeah, I think so. So it's lack of home runs, lack of offense is not a problem in Major League Baseball. Right. Right. And And... I mean, baseball's doing well. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it was exciting. Like, like, why are we changing things? Let's let's leave it. People are watching baseball still. I mean, it's not football. It's never going to be football. Football is a once a week event. Like yeah. you, you're never going to compete with NFL. 
No, but it's the you know it's a it's, you're still going to get a ton it's of a quantity watch. thing. Like there's a lot more games, so people will take some of them for granted. When there's 16 games on the schedule, people are going to watch every game because there's it's a you know there's small amount that happens. Yeah. Anyway, stop stop changing. <laughs> do you think? Do you th- if you had to uh, put money, does this rule ever make it to Major League Baseball? No. Well, then why, what are they bothering with it in the minor? Because who cares about the minor leagues? I mean, the minor leagues are like gimmick central anyway. So who gives a shit? All right. Uh, but other it's news. Still stupid. Let's uh, quickly go some other news around spring training. The Yankees traded outfielder Jake Cave, who had been in Scranton, for uh, a pitcher, 19 years old, from the Twins named Luis Gill. This uh, Cave was obviously on the trading block. I mean, he was just. I mean, he had been a, he had a been million guys taken uh, in the Rule Five draft before, and then got sent back. Um, by by Cincinnati, I believe. Yeah, he was. He is uh, Ben Gamble two Yeah, he's a he's a productive hitter. He's a guy that could probably um, probably start on another team. And you know, I, I wish him good luck. I think he's a uh, I think he's a, a good ball player. There's just nothing. It's it's similar to like it, it's worse than Tyler Wade's situation because Tyler Wade is forcing himself into the into the conversation. But there's just nowhere for him to play. So it's yeah. a, and we're gonna see this. You know, when these guys come up and and we're we're looking for like. Um, when that when the rule five happens and you can't protect all of these guys, we're going to start seeing more and more trades. And don't be surprised if Brian Cashman does it early, so that he's not forced to say at that time when when that when that occurs when the rule five happens, and he can't protect these players, and then he's stuck without any leverage. I mean, Brian Cashman's smarter than that. He's going to do a lot of these things ahead of time. Um, so it's there the will pro- be trades. It's, a, it's a product of having an unbelievable system. It is like, like this is this is first world problems. Yeah, to, to have to deal with this, where you have so much talent, so much depth in your organization that you you're going to have to trade guys who maybe you you ordinarily wouldn't want to trade. Like five years ago, Jake Cave doesn't get traded; he gets a shot at the major. He's our number leagues. one prospect five years yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, John Heyman wrote an article this past week at FanRag talking about. Uh, I guess he had he had taken poll or just talked to a bunch of scouts in major leagues about the Yankees farm system and talking about the farm systems in general. And everybody is just like, it's loaded from top to bottom. They have a ridiculous amount of options. Even after they've made these trades, this team is so, or this team, yeah, this team is so deep in the minor leagues at this point, even after what they did in 2016 and then, and then forward, because there have been trades since then. And there are still guys like Floriel is a Dud waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Like that guy is probably going to be top. I don't know where is he now in the prospect list in baseball. Like is like he top MLB, 10? MLB hun- like top one hundred. Yeah, he's, pipeline. Yeah, I don't remember where he. Is. He's up there. He's a top twenty five. He's up there. I'm, lo- I'm looking up right now. I, I wouldn't be surprised after the year that he's a top ten, top five guy. Like he's that good. He's a specimen. And when you listen to the post game interviews, like this guy gets it. Even when Gardner was talking about him, he gets it. And he's just one of those guys that is very exciting. Very exciting. Um, but there's a lot more. There's a ton of arms down in the minor league system right now. He's currently 44th overall. 44th. Like, uh, look yeah. for him to jump way the hell What up. Brett, Gard- Brett Gardner was talking about him, I was actually very excited. He, for, Gardner spoke about how he speaks really good English yeah. for someone who's not Is American. he from Haiti or Dominican? He's from one of those. Yeah, guys. I think he's from Haiti. Yeah. Um, because, because I remember there was a bunch of Yankee fans um, bashing Trump when he called Haiti a shithole country or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. That he he, uh, does, no, no, he but speaks great English. Like I have a lot of CC. I have a lot of admiration for, for these guys that that don't grow up here and can yes. speak English. I suck at Spanish. I took like eight years of it in school, <laughs> and I can say like five words. Like it's it's completely impressive, and it's 
it's it's awesome that they know how to speak English. Like I think it's CC and Gardner talked about how that went a long way with them as respecting Florial as not just a baseball player, but as a person. If you take the time to learn something so you can communicate better to your teammates and communicate better to the media, that shows you are serious. You're a smart yeah. player. You're dedicated. And so, so them sort of talking about Florial's dedication, I think he watched Gardner in the, in the cage for a long time or yeah. something like that yeah. too. That kind of stuff gets you... Like the talent is is one thing, but this sort of extra stuff gets you gets you excited. Yeah, it reminds me of a uh, of a couple of things when they're when you're talking about like the guys who who go out and like do that extra thing. One, not a Yankee, but Carlos Correa was. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story, but when he was a kid, like like ten years old or something like that, um, he he told his dad that he wanted to learn English so that he could yes. talk to the the media and the reporters in the U.S. when he played baseball. Like I love yes. that. That is that was uh, that was a big storyline. That was a big storyline during the ALCS. I remember. And then um, and then last year was it last year or two years ago? It, yeah, it was two last maybe it was last January during that uh, the winter warm up that the Yankees did in New York. Uh, I was uh, up in it was in January. I was up uh, at the event and Glaber Torres was on one of the panels and he had. A uh, he had a translator there and like talking for him. And at, at one point, he's just like, you know what? Took the mic and just started speaking English. He's like, I'm just gonna do it. You know, he was he was embarrassed, I think, because his English is broken. But a lot of these guys, like, it doesn't matter. Like nobody well, nobody cares if your English is broken. Why do you think like Gary Sanchez uses a translator? Do you I think, think it's, I think he's, it's his because he's embarrassed? Do you think he's no. embarrassed by his English, or do you think he doesn't want to say the wrong thing, get trapped in something he doesn't mean to say, or do you think it's just? Like I think he's a, a soft-spoken comfort, guy. A comfort factor. Yeah, I think he's a soft-spoken guy and doesn't really like that's his. He just doesn't care that much. Like, do you think it Ichiro limits him a little uses, bit? Ichiro can speak English perfectly fine, right. And still uses a translator. Do you think it limits a guy like Gary Sanchez as being actually like that much that taking his popularity to the next level if he doesn't speak english to the media like fa- yankee fans don't get to see and hear uh, well i think it's more of a person i don't think he i don't i don't really think so i, I don't think it's a, a big factor i really don't yeah. maybe maybe I, a little bit know. on the marketing side but like well, because he, like carlos correa was talking his personality yeah. is more of a reserved guy and you know it's not like like that's more his personality to me but Carlos Correa was talking about like I, I want to speak English to the media. I want to be yeah. able to be in front of. I just think it's impressive for a ten year old kid to be like, I'm going to be a pro. I need to learn. Yeah, English and that so story, that story is probably bullshit anyway. I, no, I guarantee he did that. I mean, I, <laughs> well, I probably nice, said that too, but it just didn't come true. This is a nice segue <laughs> into um, the Astros in general and yes. just how cocky they are going into this season. <clears throat> they think they're untouchable. They think they're going to repeat no problem, and that's fine. They've got a stacked team. They're young. And they just traded for Garrett Cole that he makes their rotation that much better. They got a full season of Verlander. Like, no one's denying the fact that the Astros are going to be a dirty team. You just don't like the fact that they're talking about it. So I was listening to MLB radio today. It was, uh, they were doing a whole thing on spring trainings and they were with the Astros. And it was, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Steve, uh, the former GM of the Mets. Um, anyway, I forget his last name. The, they were talking to him and, uh, to Alex Bregman and Alex Bregman, the cockiest son of a bitch you will ever hear talk uh, about a baseball team talking about getting his, their ring sized and how he's going to get other fingers sized and ha- do like a Tom Brady picture with the five rings. Like already talking about repeating, already talking about doing three, like in a, in, in a cocky tone, it was making me mad. Like I started yelling at the radio and 
I I have I had really didn't have any reason <laughs> Old to man like yells at radio. Yeah, I didn't. I had no problems. Like that team was like they're good. Like I like kind of like Correa. Like Altuve, I got no problems with. Springer's kind of a cocky ass, but he's from Connecticut, so he's like a tri-state thing. Susan Waldman loves him, pride of Connecticut. But you know what? When Alex Bregman comes around talking about that, the fact that they're going to win three and five championships, not with one, the amount of talent, not two, not oh. three. Yeah, uh, so I am. Uh, I, he's officially on my shit list. Like I, he's on my hate list now. Good, and I'm building up. Like I need Good. that fire for these guys because they are going to be there. And yes. the fact that they're getting overly confident, I love that. And you know Good. what the Yankees are going to do? They're going to walk in. They're not going to say a damn word, and they're going to whoop your ass. And these guys are going to be conf- confident, cocky, acting like they their their shit don't stink. Like they're they're going in, assuming they're going to win. Yeah. No, good. Hatred is good. Steve Phillips is the guy you're talking Steve about, Phillips, by the way. Steve Phillips, thank you. But um, no, no, this hatred is a good thing because we, we've talked about this with the Red Sox. There were a couple years there where the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry was, was next to dead. Yeah. There was, there's no passion. There's no hatred. You need something to hate in order for the rivalry to be in that next level. If it's the Astros this year, if the Yankees and the Astros are going neck-to-neck all season, Good. Give me something to hate. That's what I love. That's that's the best thing about sports is rooting so hard for your team that you hate the other guys. It's once the emotions start kicking in. When the emotions start kicking in, you become a lunatic. <laughs> and yeah. you are, are losing yourself on the wins and the losses. That's when it becomes beautiful. Yeah, and and let them go pay Altuve $30 million a year because that probably means they can't re-sign Carlos Correa or Alex Bregman somebody. or uh, Dallas Keuchel or... Somebody else. Dallas Keuchel's another one I really hate. I hate no, Dallas we always We always hated him. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, they're, they're, he fueled the fire. Like, they're really cocky. Really, really, really cocky. Lance McCullers is cocky as hell. So there's a bunch of guys on that team that are very hateable. Very hateable. Um, <clears throat> before we get out of here, uh, we have a T-shirt winner to announce. And actually, before we do that, you still need to get in touch with the we other We had two winner. winners. Uh, I have to respond back to one of them. So, yeah, I got yeah. you. I will respond to you either tonight or in the morning. So don't worry, I'm getting you your shirt. The winner of this week's T-shirt uh, is <laughs> the the review is titled "Don't Move to Idaho" and it's by Crazy Skier seven seven seven. He says this podcast makes living in Idaho bearable for an hour a week, which is one more hour than it would be because it's Idaho. So poor guy living out in Idaho. At least he gets some Yankees baseball, some Yankees talk, little potatoes, some baseball. Yeah, Crazy Skier, hit us up on Twitter. We'll get you a t-shirt. Thanks for the review. Thanks to everybody who's been rating and reviewing the podcast. I know we're over 500 written reviews. Are we close to 900 actual ratings at this point? So it's awesome to see. Scott said it, says it every week. I say it every week, but it helps us out immensely. It's the number one thing that you guys can do other than actually listening to the podcast is giving us a rating and review because it's what... um, what bumps, bumps us up in the iTunes rankings and things like that. We are going to hold off on mailbags. We are going to be in Tampa next week, so I think it's a good opportunity for us to answer a ton of mailbag questions next week. Thank you to everybody who submitted them. If you want to do so, it's bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can also tweet us at Yankees Podcast and at Bronx Pinstripes. So again, we're going to do a bunch next week. Final topic before we get out of here, we teased it last week, is the movie review episode. We got a ton of good suggestions field of dreams was suggested i wanted to do field of dreams <clears throat> scott was not into it but the winner whoa, whoa, of whoa, the- whoa, whoa. don't say i'm not into it I, it's fine we'll do it at some point we should do Down a yankee we should do a yankee thing this the first right. one so we're going to do the 30 for 30 
that was made about the Alex Rodriguez untrade to Boston. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I've seen it once. I know it was like a it was a short thing. It was only like a twenty or thirty minute thing. Thirty for very, thirty. I bet it's thirty minutes. Just going out on a limb here. But. No, those are the thirty for thirties have been like three hours long before, so you can't <laughs> go for that. But it's interesting. I remember it being very good, so I'm looking forward to watching it again. And that will be on an upcoming episode. Good stuff. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right, guys, before we get to the conversation with Aaron Judge's hitting coach, Richard Skink, I want to tell you a little bit about Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you become a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, more motivated, learn something new, you can try books like the four-hour work week to get your week planned out and ready to go. Or you could go Yankees topics and listen to some great books like Pinstripe Empire, Joe Torrey's The Yankee Years, or even The Bronx Zoo, which is actually narrated by Sparky Lyle. It's a great opportunity for you to go in and find more books, and it also lets you switch seamlessly between devices so you can pick up where you left off, whether you're on your phone, on a tablet, you're on your computer, or Amazon Echo. Audible members get a free credit every month, and that's good towards any audiobook in the store, regardless of the price, and any of the unused credits actually roll over to the next month. I personally use it all the time. I don't have as much time to read as I used to, so I do listen to um, a lot of the Audible books. It's actually really good on the road. It's beautiful for car rides. Plus, your books are yours to keep, even if you cancel your membership. By listening to the show and being listeners of the Bronx Pinstripe Show, you can start a free 30-day trial. Get your first audiobook for free by going to audible.com slash Bronx, or you can text Bronx to 500-500. You can do this all with audiobooks. Again, start your 30-day free trial. Get your first audiobook for free. Go to audible.com slash Bronx, or text the code Bronx to 500-500. All right, guys, I'm happy to bring on Mr. Richard Skank. He is the hitting coach for our guy, Aaron Judge. Uh, his website is hittingillustrated.com, and you can find him on Twitter at teacherman1986. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So I want to kind of take a step back and, and talk about how, one, you got involved with, uh, with being a hitting coach. I know you have a, a history of playing baseball and you've coached your, your kids as well, but how did you become you know, this guy that became obsessed with uh, the mechanics of a swing? Um, I uh, grew up in a small town in Iowa. My father was a big baseball fan. We had what they called town teams, and my dad as an adult would play, and I would be the bat boy, and I just you know, that's how I got hooked on baseball. Uh, went on and played through high school and college and uh, uh, was a catcher, a good defensive catcher, not a great hitter. Um, after my college days, I played a lot of fast-pitch softball and continued to try to learn to hit, and I continued to fail. Um, Eventually gave it up as I started a business, and that business took so much time. I didn't have the time to play softball, but I still had this big interest and would always watch hitters on TV, Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, etc., trying to figure out what they did. It's like I'm, I'm obsessed with it, although I have given up personally. Um, had a couple sons that started approaching high school, and they needed help with their hitting, and the Internet was new, and I started uh, researching on the internet everything and anything I could find to help them. Um, that's probably started in roughly 1998. And around 2004, five, six years later, I don't remember the exact date, I just kind of decided that uh, <clears throat> I don't think anybody knows what really happens because we had tried 
everything everybody taught us to do. We tried real hard. We worked often. We didn't get better. And so I went to my basement with a bat, a ball, a tee, and a camera. And I just wanted to duplicate Barry Bonds' swing. My theory was if I could duplicate his swing, I would feel what he's feeling. Um, it was a theory. I wasn't certain of it, but that was what I started to do. So, I mean, I took, if not thousands, hundreds of swings, recorded them. I would put myself next to Barry Bonds on a laptop and play it back and forth and find out how bad I was, actually. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, eventually I was doing, what's his lead arm doing? What's his rear arm doing? What's his lead hand doing? What's his rear hand doing? What's his lead leg doing? What's his body doing? What's his head doing? And I was, my goal was to match. And after, I don't know, two, two and a half years, I don't remember, I started paying attention to the rearward speed of Barry's barrel. Um, at first, I thought he was just real fast at flattening the barrel and the back and then swinging it forward. Mm -hmm. My entire career, I swung forward. I thought that's what everybody did. The ball's out there in front. You apply, you apply force forward to hit the ball as best you can. So one Friday night in 2006, September of 2006, I'm watching Barry Bonds play the Cardinals, and I start paying more attention to this barrel speed behind him. And I started to think when he's not really just flattening it and swinging it forward, he's actually swinging it rearward and it comes around in an arc forward, like a fan blade, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we had this thing in our basement called a personal pitcher. It's a little black plastic box with a couple electronic motors that spit out golf wiffle balls. And I went down to the basement that night and started messing around with creating this arc, this rearward arc behind me. And all of a sudden, I started squaring up every ball. Now, the previous time I had been in the basement, I really struggled. I'm 50 years old at the time, by the way. And it, the machine was too close to me, and I struggled hitting the ball. But on this particular night, after I started developing this rearward arc, I started squaring up every ball. And I thought, hmm, we've been at this for almost eight years now. I think I finally found it. So that's where it started. Or that, I mean, that's where it ended, I guess. Or maybe that's where it began, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, my son, who was an eighth grader when I started this process, was a sophomore in college now playing Division three baseball. I called him up on a uh, probably a Saturday morning, and I said, I'm coming over Tuesday to pitch batting practice to you. I, I did that and he had a great batting practice session. Again, that was the fall of 06. Uh, he came home May of 07, home for summer. And he had never ever in his life hit a ball over a fence. May 10th, he got home. We started working at this. May 24th in a doubleheader, he hit three home runs, two doubles and a triple. And they couldn't get him out. And we thought, wow, we have arrived. We have found what we're looking for. That's, so that's kind of where I came from and how it happened. 
No, I love the story. I love the fact that, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It starts in a basement. It starts after just, you know, peppering and peppering and peppering and, and, and trying to find that golden nugget. And uh, when you're looking at Barry Bond swing, it, it is really interesting when you see how, how flat his bat gets behind him and how long it is in the zone um, as, a, as, a, as a plane. And, you know, he, he can connect with so many different uh, balls where I think a lot of the old teaching, right, is, is more people are, are coming down on the ball. Um, yes. Whereas he's staying back and, and almost flat through. Uh, it's, yes. it's, it's fascinating to hear it. So the, when you, when you find this approach and you apply it to your son, you're, I mean, that's obviously the, the light bulb went off and you're like, this is something that can be applied. How quickly did your son take onto it? I mean, it's gotta be a very different feeling than what he was used to. And I'm sure you see that for most different. of your, most of your clients. Very different. And, uh, you know, that double header, he did well that summer. He hit seven home runs, I think, and he would have had 10 or 12 if all the fields had fences. <laughs> Some of our fields were wide open in the outfield and they'd run the ball down. Um, he had a great summer. And along my way, uh, along my Internet research, I had met several dads across the country that were just like me, yep. just trying to help their, their sons get better. And when I reported my progress to them, they were real curious and they encouraged me to start a website, which I did. And, uh, I had six original members, I think of which two of them, their sons are now playing professionally. They had, they got scho uh, college scholarships, division one scholarships, and, and now they're playing professionally. But, uh, the real, the real breakthrough came when David Matranga, who is now Aaron judge's agent, mm -hmm. he was a player himself uh, had a, a long minor league career and he and i had met on the internet and we started working together trying to i was trying to teach him what i what I learned and and he had a nice year this last couple of years but he was only he was already in his 30s and it was too late for him so one thing led to another he retires from baseball goes to work for his agent which is psi sports in ventura california owned by Paige odal and David, from 2009, I think, when he retired until 2016, David and I are just friends. We don't talk much, but he'll we'll talk baseball now and then. He'll send me a video of one of their clients and ask me what I think. And he'd send me videos of the client or the players he's trying to recruit to their agency and ask me what I think. So I was just kind of like a friendly consultant. Sure. Um, in 2016, he invited me to work with Aaron Judge. And that's when things have blown up. <laughs> that's when things got big. Yeah, I can imagine once this came out and you uh, you fixed this. I mean, you're talking about after after Judge had his 2016 season when he came up at the end and was striking out at the it was I don't know, close to a 50 percent clip. Um, and then what he did specifically coming out of the gate in 2017. I mean, obviously there were changes. You could see that there were changes in the way he approached the ball and approached the plate, and just it seemed like. He wasn't thinking as much. It seemed like he had a plan uh, there and everything was coming a lot more naturally. You know, it's funny because I, you see a lot of managers in the major leagues. A lot of them are, are uh, like guys that were backup catchers in the major leagues. And, and you talk about your, yourself being a catcher and a, uh, not even a great hitter when you were playing. Do you think that contributes right. to the fact that you became so obsessed uh, of learning the mechanics? Uh, chances are, if you were a good right. hitter, maybe you would have taken things for granted. You're right. If I was a good hitter, I would have never gone through what I went through. Right. I would have, I would have reached my college, you know, ceiling playing level, and I would have given it up. So, as a Yankee and, fan, we're we're very appreciative that you weren't a great hitter. So, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, you're, for all the frustration I had for two and a half years, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, no, that's 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 great, and it's it's really it is interesting when you hear about uh, the the type of guys that have success. I think you see that in a lot of sports. Actually, you see even basketball coaches are, are guys that a lot of them were not great players, but really had to study and work yeah. their butts off and, and grind to get to where they were, um, and yeah. study the the back end of things. So there's so you, an old saying: "Those that can't do teach." That's right. <laughs> uh, so you were introduced. Um, by David Matrenga to to Aaron Judge was he now was this a um, he obviously struggled after uh, he came up in 2016 was it well received this this type of thing I can I can imagine it being so different because he's such a big bodied guy you know I, I can't yeah. imagine you worked with a guy that big and, and you know what kind of well, differences are there well one thing that's real interesting is I I had never heard Aaron Judge's name before really? before I got invited to work with him I'm not a Yankee fan I'm not not I'm not not a Yankee fan but I don't live there sure. I'm in St. Louis. I'm a big Cardinal fan. National League, I don't hear Aaron Judge's name. So David asked me to come out and work with Aaron Judge. He tells me who he is. but uh, So I get there, and yeah, he's a, he's a mammoth. He's huge. <laughs> um, but I don't teach anything different to a big guy than I teach to a little guy. Um, you may or may not know the name Scott Kingery, who is also represented by PSI. Uh, when I worked with Aaron in in January of 17, I was also working with Scott Kingery. Aaron is 6'7", 280. Scott Kingery is 5'10", 180. Hmm. And at the All-Star break last year, Aaron was leading the major leagues in home runs, and Scott was leading the minor leagues in home runs. So what I teach has nothing to do with the size of the body. Uh, surely Aaron's going to hit him farther and more of them than Scott. But what I do is I maximize your ability to apply force into the baseball. And so your God-given gifts of your athleticism, your strength, your size is something I don't have anything to do with, but I can help you drive the baseball. So I didn't teach Aaron anything different than I teach anybody else. When I, I read uh, Mike Mazio's article about your relationship and, and how you changed his uh, uh, Aaron Judge's swing uh, from the Daily News, and one of the things that I thought was just was was awesome was uh, when you first met him. You, you talked about the first drill that you did and putting a ball on a tee, uh, and you both in unison would swing, and every single time you would uh, you would get your barrel to the ball before Aaron Judge would, and yeah, I was, I, I, that's fascinating to me, and I love it. It's called I call it the command drill. Yep. And the command drill represents the moment you decide to swing when a ball is coming at you from a pitcher. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I, Aaron has a ball on a tee, and I have a ball on a tee, and we have a third person who's going to give the command to swing. So we both get ready. The guy says swing, and we both swing as soon as we hear that. And I would hit the ball every time before Aaron did. I'm 62 years old and <laughs> not in particularly great shape, and he's a physical specimen in the best shape of his life. Yep. And I could get my barrel to the ball before he could. And it deals with the technique that I teach. He would look at me and said, what are you doing, old man? <laughs> <laughs> That'll definitely get someone's attention immediately. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. And basically that's what I teach is swing quick, launch quickness. You hear a lot of people talk about exit velocity and launch angle, and those things are great. I've, I've never heard anybody except myself talk about launch quickness, the ability to get the barrel up to speed instantly from the time you decide to swing. And that was something that, that I read as well when I was, uh, when I was looking into the, your methods. Is it, it seems like because you can teach this and because once a, once a guy masters um, the, the approach that you take, they have 
a longer time really to make the adjustments to the ball, right? Because they don't, they're not trying to load up. Yes. It's already loaded. That's right. That's right. When what Aaron was doing on the, in this drill, after the command, he would load and swing. Mm-hmm. I already had the load out of the way. All I had to do was swing. And so Aaron now knows how to get the load out of the way before the decision to swing so that he's quicker. He's way quicker, yeah. which gives you another two or three foot law of ball travel to decide whether to swing or read the spin or, you know, you're just going to make a better decision. And, and one thing it was definitely noticeable when you're watching him first half of 17 compared to what he was doing in 16 is it seems like his lower body was a lot more quiet. It seems like there was, there wasn't as much movement and, and, and I guess that's, that's going into the fact that he's quicker to the ball. He's not doing as much with his, with his bottom half, right? It's just kind of going along with his, uh, with the swing. Well, I would, I would say it like this, by the way, that's a great observation in 2016, Aaron, and in fact, most major leaguers was using momentum of, of their body's movement to get their barrel up to speed. Mm-hmm. But in 2017, he's using a stretching process that really doesn't show much movement as it's happening. Right. And the best example I could give you, have, have you ever flicked somebody's ear with your forefinger? Of course. You load it with your thumb, and it flicks out of the, the load of the thumb, right? Mm-hmm. Aaron loads his leg. Or I, I should say what I teach is Aaron loads his leg with his hip, with coiling of his hip. And that coiling hip movement is not very – he presets it, okay? And so his leg is ready to snap like the finger snaps out of the hold of the thumb. Mm-hmm. The leg snaps out of the hold of the hip. And so it, there's a sudden burst of the body that comes out of what appears to be no movement at all, or very little movement right. as compared to what you saw in 2016, where he's, he's really getting a lot of movement and a lot of momentum. Momentum is what pitchers exploit. They will get you momentuming or starting early for that fastball and then that momentum gets you lunging for the off-speed pitch but when you can stand there with a loaded forefinger and thumb feeling and then at the right moment just let it snap they don't they can't exploit you as much now that pitching is pretty good at that level so (laughs) they get you they get you okay but at least you have a tool that will work um if you can maintain your your mechanic. Yeah. If you're reverse engineering these things, it's something I like to do. <laughs> I get uh, when I'm looking at pitching mechanics and swing mechanics and things like that, too. I mean, it sounds like it's like a spring almost where you're building up that resistance and that yes. tension. And then yes. um, I did notice one thing when he when Aaron thanked you on Twitter, he used the hashtag at the end of it. Snap it. I got to assume that's what that yep. is uh, referring to. Yes, um, I am. Uh, I work with Aaron's agents clients. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, they all call me the snap man because I keep telling them, snap it, snap it, snap it. Whether you're snapping your hands to get the barrel to go rearward or whether you're getting the snap out of your leg, there's a sudden burst, a sudden snap when you do what I teach properly. And that's pretty much what sets me apart from all the other hitting instructors out there. Yeah, no, I love it. One thing that I also, uh, when I was watching, it was a yes network feature, I believe of, uh, of Aaron, 
judge talking about his swing in the cage, one thing that he noticed, that, or one thing that he mentioned that was just fascinating to me, and I don't know if this is something that you do when you're looking back and you're working with guys, um, you know, whose tape are you, are you looking at pro's tape? Because he was talking about going all the way back and looking at, at Babe Ruth's uh, swing and how yeah. long his bat was in the zone and how much contact yes. he would make. Is that something that you do on the regular basis? Yes. I, uh, when I had my aha moment uh, from studying Bonds, I started looking at all the hitters. Mm-hmm. And even though Bonds is the greatest of all time in terms of the efficiency of his swing, I don't care if it's Albert Pujols or Adrian Gonzalez or Manny Ramirez or Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio or, or Mickey Mantle. You go back, you're going to see what, what Bonds did in all of them. They may stand different. They may hold their bat different. They may be wide in their stance. They may be narrow. They may be upright. They may be crouched over. But at the moment of launch, you'll see what Barry Bonds did in every one of those guys. So I didn't invent anything new. I just have learned how to teach it. That's great. A couple of things uh, about Judge I'd like to ask in more general. I could talk with you for, for hours about hitting, honestly, <laughs> because it's fascinating to me. And I, and I know you've watched and taught so many people that the, the wealth of knowledge is, uh, is amazing. When you're looking at Judge, and I mean, he had some struggles in the middle of the year last year. Are you, do you talk to him in the middle of the year? Or is this something where you're like in the, in the off season working on that stuff and then maybe getting into uh, in, in, the, in the middle of the season it's – too much information? Is that ever a problem? Um, <clears throat> Aaron's mid-season slump. Um, I'm not going to go into the reasons why. You can talk to Aaron about that. Sure. But we, we talked a lot <clears throat> during that time, and we, we were able to work him out of it. Um, he had a pretty good September. In fact, September was his best month. So, you know, the the – the the pitching at that level is good, um, but it, I, I'll say this: <clears throat> after the All Star break and before September, Aaron fell into the 2016 swing, mm-hmm. and we got him back to the 2017 swing in September. I'm glad you said that. One thing that that we we noticed when he was when he was playing, and like I, I like to dissect these things too, is. You could you could absolutely tell that his uh, his stance was more open. His it looked like his um, his front his front side was coming out a little early, whereas in the first half of the year uh, seventeen, and then back into the uh, the end of the season two, you could see he was a little bit more closed and it was a lot more quiet in the lower half. And it seemed like once he did okay. that, he wasn't as long and wasn't falling for that outside pitch. And um, it was uh, it was pretty 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 amazing how in season he was able to make that adjustment. When you're when when one of my hitters is right, they can feel something before it happens. Yeah, they can, they can feel the load. They can feel the stretch. They know they're right. They know they just need a pitch to hit, and if they get it, they're going to get the barrel on it. Um, it. And hitters, for whatever reason, I don't have this reason. I wish I did. I'd stop it. Uh, at times, they can't get that feeling. Sure. Whether, you know what I mean? It's just, I guess if we were, if they were perfect all the time, they'd hit 500 instead of 300, you know, but he went through a period of time where he just couldn't find the feeling. So is there, are there next, are there next steps for a a guy like judge and his swing, or is it more of the same and just kind of making sure that the muscle memory stays where it is? And and like you said, continuing that feel, are there any next steps for his swing? I don't think so. Other than just getting automatic, getting it automatic where you don't have to think so much, the more reps you do, the more automatic it becomes, and now you can just see the ball and launch it. 
But when you're playing at the level these guys play at, and that pitching is so good, and you have to think about your mechanics and react to the ball, that's a tough. That's a tough job. Yeah. When you get the swing automatic, and all you can have to do is react, then then you've got a, a real chance to be a great hitter. Richard, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us uh, about this. It's fascinating to me. Um, you can find Richard at TeacherMan1986 on Twitter. His website is hittingillustrated.com. I got to believe that your your client base has blown up since this as well, because it seems like uh, that you know everybody is going to, I assume, is going to want in on um, on what you the changes that you made with with Aaron. So thanks very much for for coming on and taking time. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.